All right, we're going to open up to uh, Luke chapter 1. And uh, yeah, today's uh, sermon is on, uh, uh, well, I'm calling it sanitizing Christmas uh, a little bit. Uh, but, you know, kind of organically or spirit-led the last couple weeks, the Lord has uh, just taken me on a journey, taken us on a journey for those of you that are visiting today. I'm doing a little bit of a, uh, a kind of Christmas season sermon series. And it really began uh, when I was watching the movie It's a Wonderful Life. And I was like, oh boy, like, here's something interesting. What would life be like if Jesus was never born? Now, I know that's like sacrilege, right, to even say that. But that's kind of the fun in it. Like, but what would it really be like? Uh, culturally speaking, historically speaking, uh, it's not just, although... Crazy even saying this, but it's not just the theology behind things. It's still cultural impact. It's the impact of law and government and education and human rights and music and art and libraries and education. Like, but then also, what would your life be like without the atoning work of Jesus? Uh, and so, you know, we 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 were looking at that, and then last week uh, for the festival of Hanukkah, we were taking a look at how Christmas and Hanukkah are inherently linked together. Uh, and I was teaching on that I really believe that this year, during the Hanukkah and Christmas season, that this really is a, a season of exposure. Yeah. The reality here is there is so much that is being exposed in 2020 with, yes, coronavirus, yes, with churches, yes, with government, yes, with your life, yes, with everything, yeah. right? So very kind of ironically, uh, I don't know if ironic would be the right word, but symbolically, you know, year 2020, the year of 2020 vision, has been a year of immense spiritual and physical societal exposure. And so I have no idea what the message is going to be for Christmas Eve. I'll let you know as we get closer. I can only do, I can only have one shoe on at a time. God knows that. I'm a guy. Like multitask? Like what? But I am a school teacher, so you, like, you have to multitask. And so today is, uh, well, I felt the Lord was leading me in a concept, as we just said, sanitizing Christmas. Which, of course, we don't want to do, but that, I think, is what's happening. So let's, uh, like I said, open up to Luke 1. We're going to begin in verse 26. <clears throat> We're going to jump around a little bit. So I want to paint the story. We all know, kind of, you know, we all probably know the story of Christmas the birth of Jesus, but I want, I want to remind us. Now it was in the sixth month that angel, that the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, and of the house of David. <clears throat> the virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and the son shall be called Jesus, or in Hebrew, Aramaic, or in Yeshua, right? God is salvation. Amen. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. All right, let me go down to Luke chapter 2. And it came to pass in those days 
that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Whoa, talk about Big Brother. From 1984, right? Caesar Augustus. The whole world needs to be registered through my government. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to the registered, I'm sorry, so all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. So Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David. Okay? Go down to uh, verse 8. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Christ, the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. And of course, there's a little bit of my background. We have to jump down to verse 21. And this is this is like the verse that has, has like is, is misrepresented in the Christmas story. Right? It's a very important one. Verse 21. And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. In the womb, right? Lord, we just come before you and we just want to invite your presence into the teaching of the word. Your presence is so here. But Lord, I pray that whether we are here in person or we are at home, man, I, I, know, I know I've felt the hustle and bustle already. Imagine the hustle and bustle of the seasons. Of the season is just going to increase each day. So, Lord, I pray that we could be tempered, that we could be anchored. Lord, that even our children would be tempered and anchored into why we stop, why we celebrate, why we even give gifts. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So, many stories, you know, I always, I always feel bad. I always feel bad looking at it like almost like a, like a book or a storyline. Like, what about all the ca- all the other characters, right? It's like, oh, we talk about the three wise men, you know, we, you know, the three shepherds, right? Depending on which which gospel we read. Of course, we talk about Mary, but not a lot. Uh, we talk about Jesus, of course, because that's what it's all about. But to really like gain an understanding of what's going on here, right? We need to also take a look at some of the other characters, right, in the story. And so, man, poor Joseph. Yeah, I mean, you ever, you ever look at this story through his eyes? His fiance comes up to him and says, "I'm pregnant," but I promise you, I, I did not have sexual intercourse with anyone. Yeah. Sure, hun. Now, of course, the angel comes and clarifies the matter, so that's good. But let's think about Joseph and Mary. They go to their family. Yeah, we're not quite married yet, and uh, she's pregnant. But I promise you that, you know, I, Joseph, I had nothing to do with it. 
Oh, and by the way, Mary says, you know what? There's, there's no old man in the picture. I have been immaculately conceived by the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Look, oh, I've heard a lot of excuses. I've heard a lot of excuses, you know, about people being engaged in a baby, but this, this is a new one. You're telling me that Father God sent the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Ghost, to come into you and conceive the Son of God. Like, that would be far out even for, like, Christian circles, obviously. But let's think about, like, Judaism and Jewish circles. Like, you know, there's one God. The Father, Yahweh. Come on, kids. I assume, although the, the scriptures don't tell us, I assume that this non-married couple that's explaining this, and then you say angels show up to confirm that what really happened. I am assuming in the first century in Judea that there is a very, very good chance that they're ostracized. Amen. Mm -hmm. I mean, we know like they go to Bethlehem because that's where the family is from. And they go there and they cannot find anyone to have them stay there during the birthing process, right? So they're up in Nazareth, but what happens here is they're coming down to Bethlehem to where their family is, because it's a census, and I'll explain that a little bit more in a moment. But yet there's no family around that's like, yeah, you can stay with us. Why? Probably because the rumor got out. And this is not the 21st century, people. This is the, well, it's not even the first century yet, right? I mean, it's going to be day, it's going to be day one and year one of the century in a moment. But we're not even there yet. I mean, look, this Middle Eastern culture is probably like, oh, uh, no. Nope. Closed door. Amen. But a little bit more of the context, you know. I, you know, I, I've not walked it, but I've driven it. I mean, from Nazareth to Bethlehem, it's got to be by walk. I mean, if you're fit and you're not nine months pregnant, probably a good day and a half, two days. So how, how I mean, obviously, you know, Mary's on the, uh, man, the text doesn't say this, but the text doesn't, I don't think, tell us this. But, you know, the images show us that Mary's on a donkey. I don't mean, did they have a donkey? I mean, did they have enough money to, to, to buy a donkey? Like, a donkey back then is like buying a decent, a very decent car. Um, I don't know if she had a donkey to, to sit on. Maybe, I, I don't know. I mean, I know those, the, the, the music tells us that. The text doesn't tell us that. So now you're nine months pregnant. You're probably kind of poor. You're living in this podunk town. I mean, Nazareth is, even today, but back then is like, Super hick sticks, right? They probably didn't have, I mean, maybe they had like a 1984 pickup Ford, maybe. Right? <laughs> if we put it in like today's context, but I don't know. And they're walking. Oh, my back hurts. My sciatica. You know, you know how you always have wives that have been pregnant? Like the sciatica is always the first to go. Right? Oh, my sciatica. And then, and then Joseph, you know, of course, you know, my wife always. She always likes to remind me of this. Yeah, I was, I was probably worse than she was, right? I said, honey, it's, it's sympathy weight. It's sympathy pain. I'm, weird things are happening to me. Like, I, something's hurting. I don't know why, you know? I'm sure Joseph had his own complaining as well. But whatever the heck may be. Right, at least, at least, at least a two-day journey. 
And they have to report to, um, they have to report to Bethlehem for this census. <clears throat> now, why? Because Joseph is from the tribe of Judah. So, the Romans are very smart people. They know how the Jews have set things up with these tribes. They say to make everything easier so we can do a census, everyone needs to return to their home territory, to their home state. So where was Judah set up? Part of, part of Judah's setting up is in Bethlehem. So you need to return there so we can document all the descendants of Judah. And then we'll go to the tribe of Benjamin. We'll document all the tribe of Benjamin. And we'll go to Naphtali, Ephraim, all these different places. And we can get the best census that we can get. Guys, why are the Romans setting up a census? Tax season. Can you imagine? Like, this is the real story behind. It's like, what, it's April 15th, April 16th? It's like, man, we have to go on a two-day journey. We don't have a lot of money. My wife is nine months pregnant. The family has ostracized us. Now we got to go all the way back to Judah, back to Bethlehem, to pay our taxes to an imperial court that is ruling over the land of Israel. You know, this isn't like, you know, log on to your tax software and type in a bunch of numbers here. This is a lot going on. And then, of course, they're in the manger. And I know there's been recent historians that are like, well, you know, the manger was actually probably pretty clean. I don't know if anyone's worked on a farm, but I did for a little bit. And let me tell you something. Stables and mangers are not completely clean. It is not the ideal place to go to sleep. And it's not the ideal place to give birth, let alone give birth to the Son of God. So I don't know, maybe there, there could be historians and stuff that like, well, really, you know, in the first century, I, 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 I look, I've been in a couple of major stable situations and yeah, they're not really clean, okay? And of course, you know, we want to romanticize things. Oh, holy night, oh, silent night. You know, all, I mean, it's, it's, you know, so beautiful, right? It's, it's quiet. I don't know, man. I, I, you're on a farm, your wife's nine months praying, you spent the last two days traveling. I don't know how silent is, but we can go off and silent. I can tell you this much, man. I do know this from watching three births. A silent night preceding the birthing process is going to lend its way to a very loud morning. <laughs> and it's not to freak out those ladies who, are, who haven't had a, a child yet. Just being real with you, it's, it's, it's anything but silent. The morning is anything but silent. Baby comes out of the womb, you'll spank on the rear end and cry. In the history of the cosmos, it is the first sound of redemption and full salvation that the earth and heaven has ever heard. It comes from the cry of a baby. Let's just think about this. I know we can romanticize it and cry baby that cute and awesome. No, let's, let's, let, let's, let's think about this. God incarnate has spent nine months in a womb, has just passed through the birthing canal, and 
all that embryonic fluid, and the baby comes out, and Joseph has to slap the hiding, has to cut the umbilical cord, and that baby cries for the first time, and what on earth just happened? The first sound of salvation on earth. What did heaven think? How did hell respond? When Emmanuel is born, heaven rejoices. Hell trembles. The father resounds with joy, but Satan trembles with fear. For his time of dominion is over. I mean, the heavenly hosts that are really plugged in, the spiritual realm that really knows what is happening. Heaven just invaded earth. For really the first time. I know we can get into other things like, you know, Lord sending that heaven's armies and all that kind of stuff. I get it, but this guy, heaven has just come to earth, really, for the first time. And a cry goes out from a stable. In the middle of the wilderness, all of heaven is rejoicing for eternity. And the finite are meeting in one place. A rumble, a roar of fury is in the enemy's camp. That is what we're about to rejoice in in a couple of days. That heaven rejoices, hell trembles, Satan is being defeated. Because Jesus, Yeshua, God is salvation, Emmanuel, God is with us, is now here. A rattle, a fury, a fear in the enemy's camp. Yes. It only gets better. Because seven days later, the boy is named. Yes. And he's not just named. And it's not just declared to the community. It's not just declared to the heavenly realm that God is salvation. God is here now. But what also happens is some rabbi or someone in the temple courts Pulls out a little knife, cuts off the foreskin of the male member of the Son of God. Mm. Talk about that job. It's quite a resume. <laughs> what did you do yesterday? Well, oh, you know, I circumcised God's son. That's what I did. I mean, you can just like, retire at that point, right? <laughs> yeah, this is, you know, people forget this. And I'll be honest, I never really knew it until the Holy Spirit just downloaded it to me a couple years ago. The first time Jesus' blood was spilled for humanity was not on the cross. Amen. It was when he was eight days old, when he was bearing the covenant of Abraham, mm. the covenant of God. Come on. And his flesh was peeled back, literally and spiritually. And that blood was spilled for all of humanity when he's eight days old, mm. bearing the covenant of his fathers. Redeeming the covenant. Fulfilling the covenant. It's a mighty day. 
day of his birth, and, and really seven days later, eight days later. What's going on? Let's remind ourselves. Acts 10, verse 38. How God anointed Jesus Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. I mean, his baby's born, he grows up, and what does he do? He goes out and he heals all? Not some. Yep. Amen. He doesn't just heal those that have all the faith. He doesn't just heal those that don't have the terminal disease. He heals, he heals all. Healing all those that were oppressed by the devil. And it's, this, is, this is what's happening when he's born. The whole paradigm of all things change. Galatians. Galatians 1.4. He who gave himself to our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age. According to the will to our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. He doesn't just heal us from our iniquities. He doesn't just heal us from the oppression of the enemy. He delivers us from this present evil age. Meaning, we can be in this age and not be in the carnality. He delivers us from the way that man acts. He delivers us from the plans of the enemy. This is what's happening. And lastly, for this little section, Colossians 2.15. Now this is obviously later with the death and the resurrection, but it's all beginning with the birth. It's all beginning with that loud morning. It's all beginning in the manger amongst the cow, and the dirt, and the mud, and the manure. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. It's like it's not just enough that you defeat the power of Satan for a man, but he makes a public spectacle, like throwing it in the devil's face. Like, ah, you think you can bring people in the hell's fire. I'm making a spectacle of you. I'm redeeming them from that. You think that you can oppress people by anxiety and depression and issues and, and, and cancer and lameness and deafness and blindness? I'm just going to throw it all in your face and look at the healing that I have brought, both in the physical and the spiritual. Guys, it's Clearly, not about just the gifts. <coughs> right? Yep. Alright. Alright, so now I'm going to give my other, my second trigger warning for the day. Because some of you who know me more, you know, may, may begin to think that I'm going somewhere with all this, and I'm not. And, and, and those that know me, just let you know. And those that get their britches in a bunch here, don't worry. There's, there's a punchline to this. Okay, so please don't, please don't like judge me yet. Wait for the end, then you can judge me. 
I guess. Or you can discern what is whatever, right? Because I'm, I'm about to embark on some lovely sensitive things. Because I like to do that. <laughs> All right? And to be honest, everything that I'm about to teach you in the next couple minutes, I actually teach um, to my high school students. We do like a history of the holidays. We take apart Christmas, we take apart Hanukkah. What does this stuff really mean? I ask them what they think about it, what, what these holidays mean to them. It's lovely, because I get to do all that through a historical lens. Amen. Right? Yeah. Just present the information. Now, what do you think? Yeah. Amen. What do you think about it? It's cool. All right, so I, I begin with my little lecture to my students. I say, well, what does Christmas mean as a word? Be astonished. I mean, people don't know. People don't even know what Christ means. And it's okay if you don't know, so I, I guess I should give that. But what does Christ or Christmas mean? Oh, well, let's break it down. Christ is the English word that comes from Greek, Christos, right? Which is really coming from the Hebrew word Mashiach, which means the anointed one, the Savior. That's what Christ means. So Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's a title. They're like, really? I'm like, yeah. His name wasn't like Jesus, middle name, and then Christ. Christ means he is the Savior and deliverer to all mankind. That's what Christ means. And then Mas. Oh, Mas comes from German, Mas, meaning Mass, a church service. Really? Yeah. So when you wish someone a Merry Christmas, what you're wishing them is that they would rejoice in the fact that the Christ, the Savior, was born, and we're all coming together in a church service and we should have a joyous, good time for them. That's what the word literally means. Really? Yes. That's what it means. Then, of course, we go to lovely Saint Nick, right? Santa Claus. And, you know, who is this guy? Santa Claus. And, you know, some kids are sharp. They, they kind of know. So, right, well, Saint Nick uh, is an actual person. He's a real person. Right? Uh, he, he was born in the 4th century in Mira, which is present-day Turkey. And uh, he was a, uh, a, a, I believe he came to the level of a bishop uh, in the Catholic Church. And he was a really, really good guy, right? He, 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 he was born very wealthy. He gave his money away to the poor and those that were in need. And now what he, he would do is he would, he would go and he wanted to be anonymous. Because scripture says, right, when you're giving gifts, like don't expect accolades. So what he would do is he'd sneak ways to give gold coins and things to kids and to families. And so he would, he would outside, even in Turkey, it's cold this time of year, he would drop gold coins into people's stockings, into their socks. So when they put them on, they'd be like, what's that? The bottom of my foot. And it would be like a gold coin. You know, I owe $2,000 an ounce today. I'm... <laughs> I know that <laughs> Honey, it's the original Christmas gift. <laughs> then I went looking, you know, to, to get a gift or leadership. You know. An ounce. I'm not looking for a coin. I'm not looking for a whole coin. Just an ounce. An ounce we got. Don't get me started about uh, inflation. <laughs> All right, so where the heck were we? So yeah, so I mean, that's what's going on. So how do we get from St. Nicholas to Santa Claus? Santa is Latin for saint, and Claus is the Dutch or the German for Nicholas. That's how right? All right, so what about some of the other Italians? This is why I tell the students. Well, you know, here we go. Christianity spreads throughout the empire. 
And then it leaves the Roman Empire and eventually gets to the Germanic tribes where things now get really funky. And I can say that because I'm like 75% German, so I'm allowed to say that, okay? It's funky. I got it real funky, all right? So what happens here is the story of Jesus, the story of, of St. Nicholas, right, begins to spread. You know, it's, it's beautiful stuff. And it gets to these uh, Germanic tribes, and they begin to incorporate their mythology and their Norse mythology into things. This is where people, you know, are getting sensitive, but don't get sensitive, because there's a punchline to this. And so what's going on? Uh, so the Germans, in, in their paganism, uh, they had a, a god by the name of Thor. And what he would do uh, during the winter solstice celebration, which begins tomorrow, December 21st, the shortest day of the year, uh, they would worship uh, They would worship Thor because he's the almighty god, lowercase g. He would travel the earth uh, in a sleigh, not of reindeer, but of these kind of like weird demonic looking goats. And he would go around, what would he do? He would go around to see who was in good standing and who was in poor standing. He would know who was naughty and who was nice. And if you were naughty, you're not getting cold. You're being, you're being brought down to like, you know, hell's fire with him. And so the Scandinavians, or really the Germanic tribes, imprinted that upon the story of Santa Claus. My personal favorite is the Germans, again. So they have this character, this is pre-Christianity. This is pre-Christianity, okay? They have this character called Krampus. Um, Krampus goes around, and during the winter solstice celebration, he will go around, and uh, if you were a good child, you would not be punished. But if you were a bad child, he would club you over the head, throw you in his sack, and take you away. <laughs> now, what's really creepy here is, in the story of Krampus, uh, what would happen here is you would know if he was coming because you would hear his chains that he was coming to bind you with, right? That's like, you know, you know, the jingle bells, his sleigh, you would hear it, right? Let's hope we have that. Uh, and then, and then, of course, Christianity goes to Finland, and in Finland, they bring in the elves. And the elves, is essentially, they had a Krampus version. And the elves were like these little demonic beings that would help Krampus, like, get the kids, knock them out, and, and bring them back to the lair and, and torture them. That's awesome. Okay? So, that's the true background to, to, to all of the elf and the show stuff. All right? So, look. Like I said, there's a punchline to this, so if you're getting sensitive and you're, you're upset, well, yo, you're telling us not to do all this kind of stuff. I'm not telling you not to do anything. I, I, I just, I'm just teaching you about the background to these things because there is a punchline to this. There is a punchline, okay? Um, the, the next piece, of course, uh, is, is the Christmas tree. Um, and so what's going on here? So Christianity spreads, and as it spreads further north into these pagan uh, religions, there's something that's going on. Like the, the pagan religions, I mean, they've spent thousands of years celebrating things. They hear about Christianity, they believe in Christ, they get saved, and they're like, well, what do we do with all these things that we've done? And so what they do is, you know, in many regards, a very beautiful thing. They, they meld things together. They're like, let's Christianize, let's Christianize our stories. Right? So, you know, we put up a Christmas tree, or people put up a Christmas tree, it's, it's life, it's joyous. It brings, it brings good things to the families and good traditions. Beautiful. It's beautiful. 
Uh, you know, but just a little bit of the background to it. Essentially, in the Nordic tribes, you know, during the winter solstice celebration, they would go out into the woods, and, and you know, these are like, you know, primitive people, right? And they're like, oh, everything's dead. Ugh, where's all the animals? We're going to die. Oh. And they would pray to the sun. Sun, you need to come back, because without the sun, everything is gone. And so on the 21st of December, this would begin, because it's the shortest day of the year. Tomorrow is the shortest day of the year. We have more darkness than anywhere else. Can you imagine what it's like in Norway, Sweden, northern Germany? And they're primitive people, no science. They're like, oh my gosh, we need to pray to the sun god to bring it back. And so they went out into the, um, the woods. They saw that the only thing that appeared to be alive was the pine tree. Right? It still has its nails. It didn't die. So what they would do is they would cut it down. They would bring it into the house. They would put gifts and sacrifices underneath the tree and pray to the tree to elicit the god of the sun, S-U-N, to return. Okay. I don't want to get too much because I don't know how much you can handle with this stuff. And there's other levels. I'm so tempted to. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do so the, the, the tree, right, is in a is in a phallic symbol. Okay? And the ornaments are round. You're putting the round things on the phallic symbol. It's the notion of fertility. And they all leave it there and you can fill in the blanks. If you want to know blatantly, you can just ask me later. Okay? They're praying for fertility. They're praying for all of this to come back. This is what's going on. Okay? So now. I know that there's no one on planet Earth that views that when one puts up a Christmas tree. And I want to make it very clear. I'm not telling you not to put up a Christmas tree. Okay? I'm not telling you not to put up pictures of Santa Claus. That's not my intent here. I just want to inform you so we can understand what's really happening today. That's the point of this. Okay? And, and the point is this. When Christianity travels to new lands, it absorbs cultures and often redeems cultures. Yeah. That's something to, to, to praise the Lord about. Yeah. No one is like the Christmas tree is a phallic symbol. If you're a believer and you bring a Christmas tree and you're like, it is a reminder of life in the darkest of hours that Jesus comes to bring. Amen. So what just happened right there? Christianity, the message of Christ, just redeemed a pagan holiday. That's what it did. Right? There's no one unless you're like some weird like pagan Wicca somewhere. You know, there's always like, those kind of people that may be doing that. But I want to make that very clear. Okay? But the story of Christmas in the development of the cultural aspects of Christmas is very interesting. Right? The, the real story of Christmas begins in Bethlehem. It begins in Judea and Samaria. It begins in Israel. But the power of the cross and the power of Christianity is that it spreads. And it doesn't care what your culture is. The cross transcends any culture. Come on. That's amazing. And so, yes, it goes from Israel, it goes to Turkey, a little further north, where you adopt some of the ideas of St. Nicholas. It then goes to the Germanic tribes. It then goes to Scandinavia. It then goes to Finland. And then, yes, it finally comes to the United States. 
So I want to talk about America's contribution to the development of culture and, and Christmas. The Puritans in the Massachusetts Bay Colony outlawed the giving of gifts on Christmas Day. Outlawed it. They said, if we give gifts, this is crazy. This is like 17th century. Founding father. If we give gifts on this day, it will become commercialized, and the true story of the birth of Emmanuel will be forgotten. They had a fine. If you were found giving any gift that was over of the abundance of giving an orange, if the value was over giving of an orange to someone, you were fined. Now that I have a gift, that. The first Christmas tree was allowed in, in, in the capital, Washington, D.C., uh, somewhere around 1880s. Um, that was not because of the separation of church and state. It's because for the first 200 years of American history, the Puritans had like a clampdown on, on government and on politics. They're like, you're not putting a Germanic pagan symbol into the White House. You're not, you're not allowed. But by 1880, there's so many Germans, there's so many Scandinavians that are coming. They're like, that's not why we do it. We're doing to rejoice in the birth of the Lord. And the Puritans are going to lose their, their, their governmental influence. 1890s. Uh, what we really see here is a Sears Roebuck and Company issues their first Christmas catalog. And all the kids say, Mommy, Daddy, I want this. So up until about 1890, you're, you're, you're not really buying much for, for your kid. And the next big thing is going to be the 1930s. Uh, is this someone interesting or no? Yeah. All right. Getting mixed. 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 So here is uh, one of the original depictions of Santa Claus. If you take notice, he's thin. Why is he thin? He's a saint. If you're a saint in Europe and, and like you've eaten a lot back in the in the fourth century, like there's something wrong. You, you're, you might, you know, please. I mean, this, this is like fourth century. This is in twenty first century. This is fourth century. Like, if you're a bishop and you are doing so well that you're overweight, you haven't really been fulfilling. One of the tenets of the gospel, and that is feeding the hungry. So depictions of saints are never big. They, they have to be thin. Because like you're giving away stuff, right? Now, obviously, it's a lot different in the 21st century. But in the 4th century, right, resources are very scarce, right? But no, this is green and white. It's, it's representing the Nordic tradition of the pine tree and the snow and all that kind of stuff. And I know it's cute, you know, Santa Claus, red and white. And I know there, we can redeem that too, right? Red and white, our sins were as red as scarlet, but he's made them white as snow. Amen. And that's part of the depiction of the candy cane. Yeah. But Santa Claus, as we know it, was one of the most brilliant advertising campaigns in the history of man by Coca-Cola. 1931, in the midst of a depression, when we need our hopes raised up, they come up with the character of a chubby, <coughs> jolly, happy Santa Claus. And it's red and white, in part, because Coca-Cola is red and white. That's America's contribution. And so let, let's, let's, let's redeem this. That, that's just the story. You're like, why are we doing this? 
I'm not trying to be like, uh, you know, Ebenezer Scrooge here. It's not my intent. My intent here is to educate so that we can understand what has transpired over 2,000 years. And how we can guard ourselves from a continuing one of the beauties of Christianity is that it's not fixed to one culture, okay? It's coming out of the context of Judaism. To understand Christianity, you need to understand the Jewish roots of the faith for you to really have a depth of understanding. And I, I obviously, coming here, you guys get a good amount of that, okay? But the big question in the early church was, can Christianity go to all of these non-Jewish people? Can they believe in him too? Yes, that's the beauty of the cross. And so it spreads. And so it's beautiful that Christianity is not fixed to this like one specific culture. It, it transcends all of that. The cross transcends all of that. But I'm telling you right now, it's this. We need to make sure Christianity does not absorb culture, but rather transforms it. That is what we need to be reminded of. And I'm telling you right now, that journey where Christianity and the story of the birth of Jesus spreads to new cultures, the culture gets absorbed into the notion of, of the holiday and the notion of Christianity. And it's happening again. It's happening again. America did very well. We lasted to about the end of the 20th century. That's pretty good, to be fair. We lasted to the end of the 20th century, I would argue, to, to really understand right, the true meaning of Christmas and keeping Christ in Christmas and all of that. I talk to kids today in my classroom, like, what is it about? They're like, family, peace. In 10 years of giving this lesson, I've, I've had two kids be like, it's about the birth of Jesus, who's the son of God. And everyone else is thinking you're a pin drop. You're like, are you allowed to say that? <laughs> yeah, you're allowed to say that. That's what Merry Christmas actually means, <laughs> linguistically and semantically. Yeah. Guys, the vast majority of culture has no understanding Amen. of the first 10 minutes of the sermon. Mm. None. It's pretty good. We got to like the end of the 20th century with this. Okay? We got on that journey. Uh, but what is going on here? What is happening? The same paradigm that's happened in the last 2,000 years of absorbing the different cultural practices and bringing them into the, the, the Christmas story, which is redeemed, is now, I don't know if American culture is able to redeem it. Because we've gone so far away from it. America, generally speaking, has completely sanitized Christmas. Completely sanitized it. It, it has like no real kind of element as a culture. And what is so powerful here is this, is that Christmas and these things that have come into the, the, the practicing of Christmas is largely a sociological element of assimilation. You're assimilating different cultures into the practice of the, faith, of, of, of the holiday. But now it's gone so far, right? It's just been a progression 
I mean, Christmas in itself is a story of assimilation, assimilating other cultures, assimilating other traditions. But here's the thing, if that keeps going, and that keeps going, and that keeps going for 2,000 years, eventually things have been so watered down that the whole element has been removed. I mean, we've gone from uh, just in the 1940s, it's a wonderful life where a man is wanting to commit suicide, and God steps in and sends an angel to Elf. I love Elf. It's funny. It's awesome. There is no nothing about Jesus. There is nothing about God. There is nothing, nothing, nothing. Zero. It's a wonderful life. Had a little bit. We've gone from Merry Christmas, rejoice in the church service of Christ, the Redeemer of all of humanity, to some weird cryptic thing, season's greeting. I don't know what that means. Like season's greetings, like happy holidays, I get it, have a good holy day. Season's greetings is like, a new season is coming and I'm greeting the season? I, what is it? I don't know what it is. Come on, man. 2,020 years ago, Emmanuel was born. And when he was born in a manger, heaven rejoiced and hell trembled. For salvation has come. He's come to get rid of the oppression of the devil, to heal the sick, to redeem humanity. Goodwill towards men. What does that mean? How? Have goodwill towards men, have a peaceful season. No, goodwill towards men is that man was jacked up, ready for hell's fire, and God came down and he brought forth a goodwill. Goodwill, the gospel. That's what the goodwill is. The power of the gospel. Amen. We really have a good time with your family. What's the significance of family coming together? You come together because you're going to church to rejoice that God has come according to redeeming, to set me free. Amen. Why is family coming together? Is because of Isaiah 9, 6, for unto us a child is born. And unto us a son is given in the government, authority, jurisdiction will be placed upon his shoulder and his name will be called Wonderful and Counselor and Mighty God and the Everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace and of the increases of government and peace there will be no end. And he's set up on the throne of David forever. Yeah. That's why we get together. And Christmas is like the fur furthest thing and maybe just Easter might be even more so. But it's like the furthest thing for being antiseptic. And I, I feel that I feel like, and like I said, guys, I'm not telling you to like, oh, you should not have a Christmas tree up, or you should not have a picture of Santa Claus, or you shouldn't give gifts. I'm not saying any of that. What I'm saying is that same paradigm of adopting other cultural norms and bringing them in has now gotten to a place that we brought the wrong cultural norm in. Don't offend. Just make it for all people. And just make it a blanket statement like you would have fun and have fun with your family. That's how much assimilation has come. Amen. When you're living 
in an, in an atmosphere where you can't offend and everyone is so easily offended, let's just make it safe. At least the dramatic tribes are like, hey, we just really like the tree. It's really joyous. Let's bring it in, but let's redeem it. For us all to be one and all of us to be brothers, let me tell you something. It's not just a statement. It is the only way that that will happen is when we bow our knees at the foot of the cross and accept Jesus as our Savior. That's when you're going to have goodwill. That's when you're going to have peace. That's when you're going to have seasons, greetings, wherever that is. But the assimilation has gone so far. And so I think in the spirit that there's a hand sanitizer that's been sent out. Sanitize it. Make it neutral. A baby in the manger. Have you, have you ever seen a bird? <laughs> Nothing antiseptic about that. It is real. It is visceral. It is life. Jamie, can you come on down? I don't know. Who's, who's sitting up here? The Son of God being born. Emmanuel with us. He's born and he's on a mission. We can't allow this assimilation to go too far. As you rejoice that the Son of God has come, he's on a mission. He's on a mission of redemption, salvation. He's at war. He's defeating the hordes of hell. And so, you know, I, was, I remember at this point, I was, you know, I was preparing the sermon. I'm like, well, okay, Lord, now what? Like, well, so what do we do? How in the spirit do we come up against this, like, spiritual hand sanitizer? And I know, and I, and, and I, don't, I don't want to offend, but, you know, I know there's people who are like, well, you know, we need to, instead of saying happy holidays, we need to say Merry Christmas again. Oh, that's an awesome thing. It's a great thing. I think you're in the supermarket. Say, say what you want to say. And I don't want to be rude. But let's just take it from like a, an aerial view. Do you think you saying Merry Christmas to someone on a shopping line is going to be impactful? I'm sorry. Merry Christmas. Oh, Merry Christmas to you. They don't know what you're saying. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, when you, oh, I'm not going to say happy holidays. I'm saying it's it's really cool and a cultural thing, and I think you should do that. Whoa. Yeah, bring down that little effect down. What I'm trying to say is, man, like, you go on the, you want to say Merry Christmas to someone? That's, that's beautiful. That's awesome. I think that's a step in the right direction. But the reality is you say Merry Christmas to someone instead of Happy Holidays or Season Green. They have no, most people have no grid on what you just said to them. It's just a word. It's just a phrase. That's how assimilated everything has become. It's just a phrase. We need to show them what Merry Christmas looks like. We need to show them that how rejoicing it really is 
to have fellowship with the Son of God. That is what we need to do. Not necessarily go into a cultural war about it. Although it's not a bad idea to start wishing people Merry Christmas. People don't know what it means. You gotta show them Christ. I was like, Lord, what, what do I do here? Like, this is like, you know, and, and he just brought me in closing up to this. Luke chapter 2. And, and I think this is how we defeat this antiseptic spirit. This is how we defeat this sanitizing spirit. Luke chapter 2, verse 52. This is after, you know, Jesus is born. Oh, Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. Make Christmas real again. How do we get rid of this sanitizing principle? How do we dirty it up a little bit? How do we make it real again? After Jesus was born, it says now that he grew. And he grew in stature and in favor. Really, it's about growth. If wishing someone a Merry Christmas on the shopping line instead of saying Happy Holidays is a place of growth for you, then you step into that. The only way that we will be able to go up against the forces of that type of assimilation that has come down the pike in American society in the 21st century is you need to grow up like Jesus grew up. You need to grow in favor with the Lord. You need to grow in favor with man. What I mean by that is, yes, people want to get born again. Amen. But very few people want to grow up again. If you want to go up against the hordes of assimilation, you need to grow up and grow in the knowledge of God. You need to lay your life down because the babe grows up and what does he do when he matures? He lays his life down. And so I just want to encourage you. Why don't we, why don't we just stand? We're going to close out. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sensitive about this. I don't want you to think that I'm like throwing the hammer down on all these cultural things that were brought into Christmas. That's not my intent. I wanted you to see that that has been the projection, right? We absorb things. Christianity absorbs things and absorbs cultures. But the beautiful thing is that we have redeemed it. But now in the 21st century, our culture of America is so strong and it's gone so far away from the cross that we've made, we've made the holiday as a culture so ridiculously antiseptic and inclusive of all things and all people. And I asked the kids at class, I said, so like, what do you think Christmas means after all of this? And they're going, it's a beautiful thing. It just, you know, it just absorbs and assimilates people and brings all people together and all this kind of stuff. It's like, yeah, that's what it has done. But that's not what it is. Before you come together, you need to know that you have been separated before you come together with Jesus, before you come together with the Father, you need to know you were separated because of sin. Because Emmanuel was born, you can be set free. Amen. 
You can't have inclusivity without the cross. The way to show that to people is not just simply wishing them a Merry Christmas. It's by growing in Him. It's by it's being being transformed and being a witness and laying down your life. Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful week. We will be here Christmas Eve at 4.30 on the dot, right? And there's no prayer this week because of all the holiday celebrations, but we'll be here Christmas Eve, 4.30. Please feel free to just process this with the Lord. I think, you, we, we, I think you know, if you do want to stay around, I think a good question would be, Lord, where in my life do I need to grow? Where in my life do I need to grow and, and lay things down? So that can really be a, a witness of the rejoicing of God coming down incarnate. Amen.